You've seen the big plays. Jaron stepping to his right, looking, looking, stopping, firing, end zone, touchdown! You've heard what the playmakers and coaches have had to say. Up for a three. Got it! But now it's time to go behind the mic with BYU Sports Broadcasters to get their distinctive take on the games. Oh, what an aggressive play! This is Behind the Mic with host Cleon Wall. The voice of the Cougars, Greg Rebell, started Behind the Mic a few years ago as a once-a-week radio show on BYU Radio. It's morphed over time, and it's morphing once again. We're going to truly go behind the microphone. We're going to get the stories behind the stories on the field, court, and pitch from the people who call or analyze the Cougar games you love to watch. They will give unique insights and share as many stories as we can fit into a show. In our first episode, you'll hear from former Cougar quarterback Blaine Fowler. He'll talk about how he got into broadcasting and break down the quarterbacks. But first, I thought it would be appropriate that we talk to the guy who started behind the mic, and that's Greg Rebell. Greg has been the full-time voice of the Cougars since 2001. I remember it vividly. It was BYU versus Tulane, Gary Croton's first game as the head coach of the BYU football Cougars. And I was one of the guys behind the scenes helping out with the broadcast. And I remember the score. It was 70-35. to Uh, BYU won that game. And it, it was an amazing game. And it seemed like no one could stop Brandon Doman or Luke Staley in that game. 21 years you've been doing this, Greg. Uh, what is it that you remember about that first season in 2001? Well, I remember um, distinctly wondering what my touchdown call was going to be, uh, becoming the full-time play-by-play announcer uh, in place of Paul. Now, granted, I'd had some reps. I'd already had three or four seasons of basketball uh, because P.J. uh, stopped doing full-time men's basketball with the 97-98 season. So starting in 97, that's when Mark Durant and I started working together. So I'd had a few seasons of basketball to kind of, you know, get loose and, and develop a little bit of a style and, and the whole thing. But uh, but with football, it's it's a different vibe. And I remember, you know, wondering, how do I call touchdowns? What am I going to say? And the ironic thing is, I got so much practice that day uh, with, with BYU scoring 10 touchdowns and Tulane scoring, you know, five themselves, nothing but touchdowns. And so um, not having determined exactly what my call was going to say or sound like, I just know that I got right into it and had just touchdown after touchdown after touchdown uh, to call that afternoon. But that was a big, big concern of mine was, well, how do I do this? What do I say when someone scores? What's going to be my... Um, my call, if you will, and I don't even—I don't even know if I still have one to this day. Uh, I think they, they vary in a lot of ways, but that day was a big concern. And then beyond that, Cleon, that was such a different style of offense from what Lavella just coached. Nobody knew really what to expect from Gary Croton's first offense, and it was essentially option football. And and BYU went from a, a prototypical, you know, drop back pass attack to crazy option football, different kind of option, but still basically option football. And 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 that was, uh, it took everybody by surprise and off guard. And I think BYU won a lot of games, especially early in the season, just on the element of surprise. It's still new to everybody. They didn't know what to expect from BYU. And Gary Croton trots out this uh the, the, this this wild um, up and down um, use Luke Staley on on every touch kind of offense and it worked like a charm and it was amazing to watch Luke run. It, it's interesting. The one thing I remember about that season, just a little aside, going back from Greg, the last game of the regular season, BYU's playing Utah, and everyone's going to remember that game for what it was. Here's why I remember that game. The guy who was our stu- studio control coordinator, his name was Ken Johnson. Mm-hmm. His wife goes into labor that day. That's right. And by the way, he names his son Luke. Um, but his wife goes into labor and they ask me, Cleon, can you step in and do his job? 
And I'm still like, I have no idea how to do this job. And I'm like pushing back against it. I'm like, I don't think I should be doing this because I don't want to screw. This is the biggest (laughs) game of the year. Why do I want to screw up the BYU-Utah game? And so we actually had Pat Reavy, who had been the studio control guy, come back in and do it. I'm not sure Pat was ever happy with me after that, (laughs) but it was just funny to me to think back 21 years about how they tried to asked me to do this. Eventually, I did get into to doing that, being mm-hmm. the studio control coordinator. And Ken might have been a little late to his son's birth, but he he did end up uh, he did end up making it there. Ken Two N Johnson. Yes, exactly. Two ends in Ken. Thank exactly. You. Yes, indeed. How much time do you get between the end of baseball season and now the start of soccer season? Because it's yeah. really not that long. I mean, when we first started, it was football basketball yeah. and that was it mm-hmm. but now you're doing so much more how mm-hmm. much time how much break time do you get now? so so june and july are the break months uh june and july are the no game months that's where you squeeze in uh your vacation time and and get as much off-season prep in as you can because with uh with start of august begins soccer and football training camps the games for soccer already begin in mid-august i've already called two soccer games as we talk here in in uh, in late august and it'll take you through um, football and soccer season are kind of concurrent, you know, into November, December. Basketball season jumps in late and takes you from November to, to March. And then baseball takes you from the winter, January, February through May now. So basically it's an August to May proposition, um, mean, giving you June and July to, to recharge, take some time off, and then get ready for the next year. So um, I, in, and, and four sports is probably as much as any one play-by-play guy does. Uh, or person does. I know that in the Big 12, uh, there are a number of announcers that have two sports, football and men's basketball. A couple have three, with you throw baseball in, but I think I'm the only four-sport guy in the Big 12. <laughs> uh, because, you know, you know, first of all, kudos to, to, to BYU and women's soccer for um, you know, having a program that, that, you know, merits additional coverage. And, and so having a sports sport is a lot of fun. Um, I, I like the challenge of piecing everything in and making everything fit and work. Um, I wouldn't trade it, and I was happy when they asked about baseball, and I said, hey, I'll be happy to learn on the go and, 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 and give that a go as well. And so I, I, I really just really um, learned to love, um, you know, the baseball side of things uh, and just kind of the different vibe and rhythm and, and feel that it, that it takes on and the different kind of work I have to do to be good at calling baseball. I, I'm just fascinated by it all. Um, you know, my spotting boards are all different for each sport. Uh, they each have a different look and feel. And in, and in baseball, your spotting boards aren't really spotting boards at all. They're active documents in your scorebook because you, you're keeping score as you call the game. And how you develop a scorebook and the different symbols you like to use and different shortcuts, I've just had a blast doing that. And, and it's a different feel, too. You're going to call four games a week. Um, and you're going to have a Thursday, Friday, Saturday routine every weekend and, and uh, kind of settle into that, uh, that flow. Uh, it's been a real blessing to me, I think, late in my career to have another sport to do. How, you mentioned you get those two months off of no games, mm-hmm. but I've got to feel and believe you're now getting ready for the next season in those two months. You're getting ready for soccer right. and football. How long does it take for you to get ready for, for both those seasons? Because... I know you have to get your spotting boards ready and everything like mm-hmm. that, but there's so much more to that mm-hmm. than maybe uh, most fans can't even imagine. I'm right trying now. to assemble a couple of intern teams in those June and July months as well. So I'll have a, a stats group and a broadcast group, and I'm going to try and find five or six students uh, to occupy each team. And so 
June and July are when I, I, I get those people together as well. Um, the rule book study, the preseason publication study, um, the documentation study from the previous year, the reviews of our broadcast from the previous year. I'm listening to a lot of myself and my partners to figure out what works, what doesn't, things to tweak. And then beyond that, you're trying to take weeks in that time just to get away. And, 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 and put it on the back burner for as much as you can. Now, I am the kind of guy that when I go on the road for vacations, I will take a rule book. I will take a, <laughs> a, I'll take a Phil Steele magazine. I will do kind of a little bit of work on the side. But to me, that's fun. Uh, and that's maybe the best thing about this job is it's still all fun. Uh, it's sports. It's games. It's fun in games. And, and, and so even when I'm on vacation and getting away, I can still feel like I'm preparing and still enjoying myself with poolside reading that has something to do with my job because my job is so much fun. We're going to talk mainly football mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll talk soccer in upcoming podcasts here on uh, on Behind the Mic. W- what do you think the biggest storyline is going to this going into this Cougar football season? Can the offense be as good as everyone expects it to be? Um, and there will be a lot of factors that go into that, and primarily it's health, uh, because your best players aren't your best players if they're not healthy, and 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 so that means. All this, all the main skill guy skill is not fair. I, I think it's unfair to the offensive line when we talk about skill positions. Um, the guys who touch the ball the most, we know who they all are. Who will be expected to touch the ball the most? Can they stay healthy for for twelve regular season games? And healthy may be a relative term, but can they not miss action? Can they be? I mean, you know, Zach Wilson was a twelve game starter in his last year before the NFL. Tyler Algier, he was a thirteen game starter. Like like these guys stayed in the mix. They were available. You didn't have guys missing game here, game there, two games here, being out. I really do think that if that if the mainline players can not just be healthy in the season, but get to the start of the season in good shape, BYU could be in really good shape as an offense. Because I think I think the potential is there to have a tremendous high-scoring offense. It really, to me, just comes down to who can stay um, relatively injury-free at the most important positions on the field. Um, and and I, I, I've got... You know, training camp is great. Everyone loves it. Um, uh, to me, it's 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 like four weeks to get hurt, uh, <laughs> and maybe it's the old age in me creeping up. I get a little curmudgeonly around this time, but uh, I, I just man alive, it's such a brutal sport. And there's so I, I, I and you can't bubble wrap them. I know, and you got to play some football. I get it. I, I just feel like that month is a it's a long month for certain guys just to get to game one in good shape and whatever way you can you know do that if you can't guarantee that I hope that happens for BYU because to me camps training camps are arduous and it feels like BYU takes hits every year and and other schools do too but um, I I, I hate when seasons start without the full complement of players because you're going to lose enough players in the season you at least want to start the right way and so I, I cross my fingers all the time, and I just think so much to do with BYU's success will come down to the health of its main players. And they do have a lot of talent at quarterback, receiver, running back, tight end. But this team's only going to go as far as their offensive line, mm-hmm. just like you talked about. And the coaches, many outside experts say that this is such a deep squad. In fact, O-line coach Daryl Funk says we could see a lot of guys sub in regardless of whether or not they're healthy or not. We just have too many good players that have played and know what they're doing, and or will you know will be pretty polished by then. And and uh, normally I don't like to sub a lot just because you get that continuity of the group and different things. But uh, you know, just if, if if they're deserving and there's no drop off, we'll rotate. 
What did you notice about last year's offensive line, whether it's stats, analytics, you know, video you've watched, that showed you that the offensive line for this year could be awesome and is really key for the offense this season? Yeah, well, first of all, Blake Freeland at, at, at that left tackle position just simply doesn't let people get by him. Uh, if you can have two strong tackles that keep your quarterback clean on the edge, that's half the battle. And when you add Kingsley Suamataya to what Blake brings at the other end, um, it, it's as good at BYU as BYU's been at tackle in some time. Last year, you were making changes due to injury, not due to talent rotation and bevy of talent. This year, Coach Funk says, well, I've got enough guys to where I could actually keep some guys fresh. And, and, and he's right. Offensive line coaches are generally loath to move guys around. You get your group, you keep your group, you develop chemistry. This year's team could be so good that they do that by design, which is normally not the case. And, and uh, I think you've got eight right now for five spots. Left tackle, Blake Freeland. Left guard, Clark Barrington. The center is either Connor Pay or Joe Tukuafu because both guys have gotten reps with the ones. Your right guard becomes Harris Lachance, who looks like a tackle and has played a tackle and now, complete, now, now is a big guard for you because he's playing next to a bigger tackle in Kingsley Suamataya on the right tackle. So there's your top five left to right. And it's really now six if you consider Pay and Tukuafu two spots for center. Then the, then the other two become Braden Kime at left tackle and Campbell Barrington at left guard. And Barrington can also play outside as well. So Lachance can play outside and Campbell Barrington can play outside. So those are two guards currently that can be tackles. They're set. Like, like they will have no problem rotating and keeping fresh if they want to and still having guys who are versatile enough to be good at multiple spots. They don't want to play Kingsley, Suma, tight, anything other than tackle. Like Blake and Kingsley, like those are tackles. And and yet there are guards who can be tackles and tackles can be guards, but those guys are going to be kind of locked in there. So I think those eight are the are the eight to play five. And the, the positive storyline from camp has been you haven't seen guys missing practices or missing reps. That's been the group. And they've been healthy. And again, the only real primary rotation now comes at that center spot where you have Pei and Tukuafu. Not a bad problem to have. Both guys have reps. And that's the thing on this team, Cleon, is so many offensive linemen have game rotation reps, have game time. Um, they're not trying to break somebody in um, necessarily. And Kingsley's among the guys with you know the fewest reps, right? But he's still just such a specimen. It's so unique at that size with his speed. Aaron Roderick was lauding how... He's been around football quite a while, and that may be you know, the most athletic guy he's seen at that spot, which is saying something. So just, again, pray for good health that those guys stay together as a group because it could be pretty special. You mentioned how some of these guys can play different positions. Mm-hmm. Do you think—and I, I know that last season that was because of injury and things like that. But do you think that's a selling point to offensive line recruits that not only can we bring you in here and you might get playing time, but we can train you guys all over the offensive line— and we're going to put you in a place that you will succeed. Yeah, cross-training is is a benefit for coach and player uh, because again, it doesn't limit you to saying, well, we've got a, we've got a left tackle and you're, you're a left tackle, you can't play. Well, no, can you play left guard? Joe Tukuafu can be a guard or a center. Uh, again, the Barringtons can be guards or, tack- or guards or tackles or centers. There are so many guys that can do so many different things, yet there will be the specialists, and we'll bring Kingsley up again. You know, Daryl Funk said there's no need to mess around with Kingsley. Right. You know, and really to that extent, maybe even Blake, too. You don't need to mess with those guys. Um, I, he feels it's beneficial to kind of keep them where they are. But I think, yeah, I think cross-training is a selling point um, because it's it's proven to be uh, not just lip service. You can see it on the field. You can look at the uh, at the starting charts game by game and see where different guys play. And BYU's been among the best at, uh, at, at, at developing uh, versatility where it's warranted. Okay, you've had some memorable calls in the 21-plus season that you've called Cougar Action on the radio. 
but do you feel like you're still hoping for that perfect or close to perfect season, at least when it comes to football? Uh, season? Yeah. I mean, uh, it would be great to feel like you're in the mix for the New Year's Six at the very end. Yeah. And I know last year was close, but you kind of got the sense that uh, with two losses, um, the Baylor, you know, the Baylor loss is one thing. The Boise one, you know, was, was the one that was kind of tough to take. You'd love to find yourself in that final week or last couple of weeks of the season in still in the mix for the New Year's Six. That was the one thing or the one thing that BYU's yet to accomplish, um, you know, in recent vintage. And, uh, and, and I think Beyond that, now being in a Big 12, um, can you put yourself in the championship game? You know, th- 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 those are the kinds of you know big games that uh, that that you think about when you think about playing at the next level. So, uh, whether it is a a one loss or, or or perfect season putting you in the New Year's Six mix or playoff mix or competing for a Big 12 championship, I think I think and still believe that like really special seasons could be ahead for BYU football. Uh, the task gets tougher, no doubt, as a full fledged P5 member. Um, and in a lot of ways, I wish this 2022 team was the team BYU was taking into the Big 12 for the first time <laughs> instead of breaking in a new starting quarterback, yeah. another situation. You know, that, 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 that's going to be a challenge next year it, because it'll be a new conference with a lot of novelty on the team. And that'll be a stiff challenge to compete in the Big 12 next year uh, because of how many guys BYU will lose from this season. But, um, yeah, I, mean, I, I guess you always hold out hope because the, 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 the 13-0 season was a year – um, in which I was a student here, you know, like I was, I was enjoying that as a fan. Um, and of course, the season you referenced in 2001 was a 12 and 0 start, but then it kind of faded at the finish in a different era. BYU had already found out before the Hawaii loss they weren't going to be considered for uh, the BCS. I think at the time they called it, and and so um, yeah, it'd be, it'd be fun to to know that you're on the precipice with those, um, you know, with, with the best of the best at that time of year. I'd probably say. One of the closest you came was '96. You you called the WAC championship game. Yeah, so so that, that that's a Paul James year. Um, but early in that season, they lose at Washington. It becomes their only loss of the year. They take the 13 and record into the Cotton Bowl, win it to go 14 and one. And again, that was a season two, where it's like they, they were one game away. You know yeah. that that one Washington loss just kind of did them in. Um, but I, I did get the one game call that year. That's right, because Paul had his heart attack, uh, his heart situation. Uh, before the Utah regular season finale. Then they had the WAC title game in Vegas, which I called as a fill-in. Then Paul came back for the Cotton Bowl. So he got back and recovered in time to call the Cotton Bowl game. It's pretty cool. Greg Rebell joining us here on Behind the Mic. Thanks a lot. He's the voice of the Cougars. Always a pleasure, Cleon. Thank you. Coming up next, we'll talk to former BYU QB Blaine Fowler, specifically about QBs. You're listening to Behind the Mic from BYU Radio. All right, welcome back to Behind the Mic, and let's welcome in Blaine Fowler. He's a former BYU football player, the father of former BYU football players. He's a BYU and college football analyst, and you can see him on After Further Review on BYU TV. Blaine, thanks for joining us. Uh, It's good to be here with you. When did you get into broadcasting after your playing career? Because it seems like you've been doing this, and I'm I'm not trying to reflect on your age or anything like that. Oh, it's true. But it seems like you've (laughs) been doing this for a long time. So my first year in broadcasting was 19... Um, 87. So how many years would that be? 97, mm-hmm. 07, 17? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's You're like making thir- me do math. It's like, 30, it's like 36 years. Yeah. Um, and so after, after I finished playing, my senior football season was the fall of 85. And then in the fall in 86, actually it was 86 I started that fall. Um, I signed with the, the Memphis Showboats in the USFL, the old USFL, which... 
is now back again <laughs> um, and was held under contract. Um, and they kind of held on, held on, and then the league folded. And But it was so late that you couldn't kind of transfer over and try to hook on with an NFL team. The big stars went over and did, like Steve Young. It didn't matter that fall camp was already over by the time all the court mess with the USFL suing the NFL was over. So big stars like Herschel Walker and Steve Young and Jim Kelly and all those guys that were in the USFL, they made their way to the NFL, a handful of guys. But the rest of us were without a job. And so I came back to graduate school here at BYU and uh, um, got got approached by uh, the folks here at BYU-TV at first and then KSL Television as well, um, said, hey, you're back here in Utah. Would you be interested in doing some work on the football games with us? And I said, sure. They had tell, what do you want me to do? They said, just talk about what what you think about, the, you know, just come and be a color analyst. So I hadn't really trained to do that. And uh, in the very first game, I sat with a couple of the producers uh, in the booth behind the, the the team that was calling the game. They said, what would you say here? What would you say there? And then they said, why don't, why don't we put you on the air next week? Just say the things that you said you were you would have said. Do it exactly like we talked about. I went on the next week, and boy, ever since then, I've been I've been doing it. Um, and I started off just doing football for the first couple of years, and the um, the contract with with BYU TV turned into a contract with KSL Television, and then the Video West Network, and then the Blue and White Sports Network, and then I was starting to do things for ESPN Regional Television, um, and then the ESPN thing led to a national contract with NBC. And I did when BYU transitioned to the Mountain West Network and Mountain West Sports. I did the Mountain West Network. I did Versus. I did the national game during basketball season on NBC Sports. Then I started to do Atlantic Ten basketball and ACC basketball and Colonial Athletic Association and the Ivy League basketball and football for NBC Sports for about ten years. Um, did the Mountain West game of the week. I did the NB. I did the um, Mountain West tournament championship game for NBC National. For, for several years when BYU was in, in the old Mountain West. And so it all started off with some guys here at BYU TV saying, hey, do you think you want to do some football? And, and the football led to basketball a couple of years later. Um, I had played for a nationally ranked high school basketball program and was recruited to play some college basketball. But uh, um, back in those days, the point guards were like, I'm the same vintage as – Magic Johnson and those guys. So point guards were six five and six six. There weren't little guys like me. So I came out came out to play football and and these guys gave me a break, let me try some basketball and boy for I don't know for thirty some years now um, I'll, I'll do an average of sixteen or seventeen football games. Used to do a lot more when I when I was working the when BYU's in the Mountain West. I was working that NBC contract and ESPN contract. We weren't doing all the countdown to kickoff and post game live stuff. I was doing 17 to 19 football games a year and 45 to 50 basketball games a year during the heyday. And now um, I, I do mostly for BYU during the fall, countdown to kickoff, post-game live and that. During basketball season in recent years, I've still done an NBC package. I've been doing Atlantic 10 basketball, some ESPN stuff in the old Mountain West, and then all the BYU TV stuff. So I still probably do 35 basketball games a year. And, and you have a normal job too. I mean, this is – this broadcasting gig is not your your regular job. You're doing something else. It's my fun job. <laughs> it's busy. It's it seems like it's as full time as most people do it in broadcasting. But I also um, I run the Northwestern United States, um, a division of the Stryker, which is the largest orthopedic medical device manufacturer in the world. So 
I'm responsible for the northwestern states. So Alaska, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Utah, part of Wyoming, Nevada, um, and and run that business unit for, for Stryker. So it's a total joint replacement division and robotics divisions for them. So we make knees and hips and shoulders and elbows and all that kind of stuff to replace yours when they wear out in surgery. So How did, how, how did you find the time to do all this? I mean— well, it just seems like a lot. When I when I started when I started in broadcasting, I was in grad school, so I was in grad school for two years here, and I was doing the broadcasting. And when when we were finishing up our uh, our master's degree, um, we we're starting to get in that in that recruiting mode. Like, well, I'm doing this thing, I'm doing this KSL stuff, and at that time, I think it was KSL and maybe Video West or maybe even Blue and White Network at that time, where we were doing Air Force and BYU and some Utah State and and. Uh, I said, well, I might as well get a real job because this is on the weekends. And and so I went and interviewed, and I got an offer from Dow Chemical Company to go work in their med device side. And uh, we got to the last interview, and they said, we're going to offer you a job. And I said, hey, I've got a question for you. There's this thing I do. It's kind of on the weekends. And I said, well, explain it to us. And I told them about it. And then they said, oh, that that seems like it would be a complimentary job. We're not going to keep you from doing something that you love. I mean, some people's hobbies are – Fishing and hunting. Some people love to golf. You know, they do those things on their own time. Hey, as long as you do the job over here, we don't care what you do over there. We'll put it in your contract. So they put it in my contract, my original contract with Dow Chemical Company. And I worked for them for 19 years. And as I made my way up through the corporation and had different promotions and different roles, each time I would say, well, I've got this thing. And they would say, yeah, yeah, we know all about it. We'll, we'll put it in your new contract. And they would let me do it. And then about 17 years ago, Stryker came and recruited me away from Dow and said, we want you to come be the general manager and run the business unit. And I said, well, there's this thing. And they go, if you're talking about the broadcasting thing, we already know all about it. Just keep doing it. And the interesting thing, though, is what had happened from the time that when I first came on with Dow is that this broadcasting thing expanded from some BYU TV and KSL stuff to doing national games of the week for NBC Sports and traveling all over the country and doing, you know, 60, 70, 80 events a year. And uh, I've just, I guess I've decided that um, the busier you are, the more time you figure out how to, you, you figure out how to make the time to do it. And some people feel like they need a break on the weekends. Well, my break on the weekends is broadcasting games. And and uh, I have a bunch of states that I'm responsible for my work. So if there's a game in Washington or there's a game in Idaho or a game in Wyoming or a game in Utah or a game in Nevada, on a weeknight, a basketball game, especially because they play basketball on weeknights, um, I can work I can work in Las Vegas on a all-day Wednesday and go over at 7 o'clock and call UNLV in San Diego State. No problem, right? So, yeah, it just turned into a big juggling match. And we're just so used to juggling at our house and running at that pace that uh, – it seems normal for us, but I'm certain it's probably not normal for most people. One of the reasons why I wanted to have you in here, Blaine, is that when we talk about BYU football and what the story is of camp, it almost seems like you have to lead off with quarterbacks. You almost always have to start and talk about quarterbacks first and foremost when you talk about BYU. And um, let's start with the clear-cut starter. I mean, it, it, this is... This is not like in seasons past. We know that Jaron Hall is going to be the, the starter this year. He talked about what he worked on this past offseason. Just fine-tuning you know, all the throwing mechanics, just getting everything dialed in. I feel a lot more confident in my ability just to throw the ball everywhere around the field. Um, got a lot of people to thank for that. Um, but, yeah, just, just yeah, my ability to throw the ball a little better and just be on time. 
How have his mechanics or his throwing motion changed over time? Have you noticed any changes yourself? He, he's always had pretty good mechanics. So he's a real compact delivery where he doesn't have a lot of wasted motion. When The thing, like when people go down and work with John Beck, I know he believes, as I believe, that quarterbacks are built from the ground up. So you're only as good as your footwork. And Mike Holmgren was our quarterback's coach for most of the time that I was here. We had Ted Toner as well. Doug Scoville recruited me, so some really good guys, right? But you know, they always talked about, you know, accuracy comes from from where your hips are and how balanced you are with your feet and the directions you're stepping and all of that footwork is um, results in accuracy in the ball coming up on time. And so John spends a lot of time with, with these guys on building that throw from the ground up and making sure that the hips are are leading you to where you want to throw the football. You're standing tall in the pocket and not overthrowing. And um, you know, if you if you if you wind up and try to try to throw it too hard and you get too far back on your back foot, then the ball takes off. If you get too over your front foot, then the ball goes down. And so everything is based on on uh, on footwork. And when I'm watching a quarterback out on the field throw the football, if he's not being real accurate, I, I start to watch his feet and I'm like, well, look at he's crossing over the line with his stride foot or he's he's too far on his back foot when he's throwing the ball and delivering it. The ball's taking off on him or his his hips are too closed. And so he's crossing over the line with his stride foot, which means that, that the ball's going down. It's, he's throwing the ball down into the ground. Um, almost every quarterback throwing problem, if they've got a fairly normal release of the football is is rooted in their footwork and I know that he did a lot of work R- really good quarterbacks even at the highest level of the NFL are constantly working on their footwork so I know Jaron did a lot of that he's really really comfortable in there and you do so many repetitions with that footwork that it just becomes part of who you are and how you you just react now you don't even think about your footwork you don't count steps you don't worry about any of that you just do it and uh, he, he looks the best I've ever seen him um, throwing the football this fall because he's just repped it over and over and over again. Good, good balance, good footwork, um, compact delivery, getting the ball up. Um, but, but that's not. He always has had fairly good mechanics. To me, the big difference um, is it looks like the game slowed down for him. That he's seen the middle of the field better. To me, he never says anything about that, and he's a very confident guy. But I don't. Feel, I feel like he was just touching. The tip of the iceberg last year with his ability, and he worked mostly the outside of the field where you can see better. I've been out there with big dudes out there. It's not easy to see the inside of the field when you're a young quarterback. But the more experience you get, the more you understand those windows and when the ball has to come up. He talked about getting the ball on time. And I feel like he'll utilize the tight ends more. He'll use the inside and middle of the field more this fall. And that's when he'll become a complete player and you know who knows possibly a first round draft pick because he certainly has the skill set. One of the things that a lot of people have wanted to know about him and I think he wants to know about himself is is he going to be able to stay healthy? This is what he talked about when it comes to staying healthy this season. Get the ball out a lot quicker, so understand what's going on. Uh, you can prep your body, you can eat right and sleep. There's a lot of things I've focused on, but at the end of the day if you don't know what's going on, um, you can't you can't protect yourself. So just mentally being locked in and, and knowing the game better than anybody else. What, what does he need to do, Blaine, to be, I guess you could say, an elite quarterback coming up this season? So he's got to play, he needs to play the whole season. And, and when he talks about knowing the game keeps you healthy, that's because when you step up and you understand where the pressure's coming from, you know who the unaccounted player, like you know, hey, if there's, if there's an unaccounted player, he's coming off of my left side. I've got to be aware of that. Um, but if he's coming around that left side, I can still get the ball out. 
but I've got to get it out quick. So I can't wait on a down-the-field route here based on this rush. So understanding the defense, understanding when the ball's got to come out, and you get rid of the ball on time based on the defense, and you don't take a bunch of shots. Not only do you not get sacked, but you don't take shots just as you're throwing the football. That's what he's talking about when he's saying, i got to understand the game better than anybody. Well, he needs to know where the pressure's coming from, who's accounted for, who's not accounted for, where his checkdowns are, how to get it out to them on time, and get rid of the football before he gets hurt, before he gets hit. Um, and then he also needs to understand when I'm running the football, I need to get what I get, and I need to get down and not take shots. And If I'm on the sideline, I don't need to be in hero mode. I need to get out of bounds. Take a 16-yard take a first down when it's third and 15, uh, but don't turn it back inside and and go hit the free safety um, and and risk risk being injured because for him to be great he needs to stay on the field and so I think I think that that's reading a lot into what he's saying but I but I think I understand what he's talking about and this whole I got to know the game better than anybody else and that'll keep me from getting hurt he talked about the physical part well everybody does that but you stay healthy by being smart out there on the field that leads us to Jacob Conover I mean backup quarterback. <laughs> the joke is probably the most popular guy on the football team, according to fans in the stands. You know all about this. You played back up here at uh, at BYU. Jacob Conover said he's elevated his game and he's calmer now. How? Well, this is what he had to say. You know, I just really understood that I needed to take a, a lot of time in the offseason just to be by myself and just work, put in the work. And I think that's the time that, you know, it's healthy for guys to obviously be here and work with teammates, but it's a time alone that you get to really work on yourself as a person and as an athlete. So what what did you do? What did you work on by yourself that that makes such a difference right now? You know, I love being in the weight room. I was just getting my body completely 100% ready for, for fall camp because the name of the game is being healthy in, the, in college football. If you're on the field, you're playing. And then just taking the time to, to work elsewhere in the quarterback mechanics, just kind of just perfecting my craft. How is it that you improve your mechanics? What is it that you do to make sure everything feels good and looks good? You know, it should become an efficient passer, Um, making sure that all the way down from your feet all the way up to your arm to where your hand releases it to where everything's working in in motion. And obviously there are small cases and games to where everything works in motion. You're going to be contorting your body in different ways to make different throws, but it's when you're in the weight room combining with your mechanics to to stretching and mobility to where everything flows nicely. Blaine, everything that you said, Jacob kind of reflected right there. He only played in a few games last year. The one that was very visible was the Utah State game. Played the whole second half, helped lead them to victory. List your level of confidence in Jacob Conover right now on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being like, I'm, I have the most confidence in yeah, him. So as a backup right now, like it's so Baylor was a 10 out of 10. Because he'd been out on the field in clutch situations and come through time after time, right? He just had won games. So you had a guy that won games. That's a 10, right? You have to have gone out and consistently won games to be a 10 as a backup. And But but I'm I'm really confident with Jacob. I'd put him up at a 7 or 8 right now. Yet to be seen because he's got to get in games, right? But really, really big arm. Jacob is is really athletic. And he's been in the weight room again. But he, he's the kind of guy, he's not that tall. Jacob's probably 6'1"-ish. Um, maybe maybe six one and a half. If you go watch him on the basketball floor and he takes the ball baseline, he'll go up and throw it down two hands in traffic in a basketball game. People don't understand how athletic these guys are. Jer- Jaron Hall is a freakishly athletic guy. Jacob also is a freakishly athletic guy with a really really big arm. And for for Jacob, what what he needs to work on because he can make all the throws is 
Um, and it sounds like he's really worked on his mechanics to make sure that he's more accurate. So it's not just about being a big arm. There's a lot of guys that can throw it, you know, throw it through the, a wall, but can't play quarterback. Is is that get get his time in the film room so that when he comes up to the line of scrimmage, his pre-snap read, he has a really good understanding of what he's probably going to see, and then being able on that first step in his drop to go, yep, I've confirmed what it is, and this is where the ball needs to go, and then you get it out on time. That's where there's a drop-off right now between between Jaron and then and everybody else. Is Jaron's a year out on the field of getting it done and progressing, and like, man, he just looks so good right now in fall camp. Um, and so for Jacob and then Cade, who's also competing for that job, um, there's a step down right now. And if if they, those guys had to play, I'm confident BYU could win games with those guys because they're very capable physically. Um, you'd have to get them experience by giving them easy – you don't give them as complicated reads or as much of the playbook as you give to Jaron right now. But with that offensive line and with the running back core and with the receiving group, you would simplify things. You would call plays that that those two know the best, and they would have success out there. Um, and so the, the nice thing about having Baylor the last couple of years is you just run whatever you were going to run because he'd been around long enough that he knew the offense as well. You, just, you really didn't have to change the game plan that much when he went in. Um, but but with these guys, you'd have to change it. But I still think you go out and win football games because I think they're really skilled athletically. Before we get to Cade, I do want to ask you a quick follow-up question about playing time because you talked about what what Jacob needs right now is just to you know get in the film room but also kind of be out there on Mm -hmm. the field too it doesn't feel like at least early in the season I mean maybe against Utah State maybe against Wyoming but in reality it just doesn't feel like he may have the chances to do that just because the front end of BYU schedule is so tough are we going to see him this season other than maybe that Utah Tech game, which is like the second to last game of the season? Yeah, maybe not if Jaron stays healthy, but but it's not just game. Like when I say reps, it's practice reps too. And remember the last couple of years, these guys weren't getting a bunch of practice reps. You had, you had to have Zach Wilson ready to play, and then you had to have Baylor or Jaron ready to play. Not, not. Jacob or Cade. So they got scraps here and there, a little bit in the first week of fall camp, right? And then, then you know, last year even, it was Jaron and Baylor. And you're if Jaron's getting in, Jaron's not a veteran guy out there. So you're Jaron's still developing, even as the starter. So you're giving him 65, 70% of the reps in practice. Then you got to give the rest of them to, to Baylor because Baylor's got to be able to step in and, and be ready. So, so right now, Jacob is in that number two position. He's getting the number two reps. So, and you know what? Jaron maybe doesn't need 70% of the reps right now. Maybe you only need 60. So now you can start to develop, Cade. So every snap you take with live bodies flying around, whether it's in practice or a game, is experience. And so he doesn't have to be out there a bunch to, to get a bunch of experience. When, when I, I got a couple of games as a sophomore, one game as a freshman, um, but but I was backing up for a couple of years as the primary backup before I got into games that were serious. When I played most of the Colorado State game and a half the Utah State game, get in the national championship game against Michigan. So even though I hadn't started a bunch of games and played, I had two and a half years of throwing thousands of balls against Division One athletes in practice, and so it didn't feel strange or, or tough out there at that point. So these practice reps for him right now as the number two guy are as important. Like you'll get him game reps eventually, but you don't get game reps till you're the guy. And and those are Jaron's right now. Lastly, I wanted to quickly talk about Cade. He knows BYU well. He played against BYU when he was at Boise State. 
he decides to transfer down here. Um, but that game against BYU, you can tell it kind of gave him a little bit of confidence. Like, yeah, I think I can play this Division One football thing. Uh, and, he, and he does feel like he's getting better. Um, I mean, I think, honestly, just the understanding of the offense and my decision-making has really progressed a lot. You know, there's always improvement there, though, right? You, you can always get better at making decisions, right? Different things pop up, you know? There, there's different situations that pop up that I haven't experienced yet, and so it's just really understanding, like, the, the flow of the game, um, as well as understanding defenses, you know? I think that's something that, coming into college, that I've really had to work on is understanding defenses, and, and I think right now that's something I'm, I'm working on, just being able to read defenses, pre-snap understanding, you know, where the safety alignment is versus, you know, safety role like what they're going to end up being in and so there's just a lot that goes into it you watched him play BYU when he was at Boise State you've watched him in practice what what do you like about him Blaine when he when he first transferred in he was running the prep team um, because it was kind of a redshirt year for him so he's running the prep team and I didn't know what number he was I knew that he had transferred in I didn't pay much attention to it I knew his background I knew they could really play and I had a friend out from New York former teammate and we went down we were watching the, the prep offense go against the first-team defense. And I'm, like, going, whoa. Like, that was just an 18-yard comeback on a rope that they just completed against the first D. Whoa. Like, who is this kid? And my, my friend's going, who's this guy? Like, I follow Penn State and Pittsburgh and Syracuse at home. This guy's better than the guys that are starting at those places. Who is this guy? So the session gets over. My son Gavin's um, a co- on the staff here. And Gavin comes over and says hi to my friend Tony. And Tony goes, Who's the guy running your prep offense? He goes, oh, that's that's Cade Fennigan. Kind of nice to have a Division One guy that started Division One games running your prep squad. And uh, I looked at that. I'm thinking, okay, well, this this kid can make every throw on the field. He's got a big time arm. He's really accurate. He gets the ball up on time. Um, so I, I have confidence in in him as well. And took an interesting route to get here. People think about Jacob Conover as this big time recruit, which he was, right? Um, but Cade Finnegan told USC no thanks. He had a scholarship offer while he was on his mission to go to USC. He had already committed to Boise. So USC was changing the staff over. He was a big time. The winningest quarterback of all time, I think, is Woodrow Wilson High School in Texas. Phenomenal player with a lot of rec- a lot of big time schools recruiting. When he told them, I'm going on a mission, some fell off. And then USC was changing staff. They're so like, well, just give us some time. Just give us some time. In the meantime, um, the Harson offers him at Boise State. And he, he developed a relationship and, and with Brian up there and decided, you know, I'm committing to Boise State. Boise State said Kellen Moore. They've had phenomenal quarterbacks. They have a Dinwiddie and, and Kellen that both played in the NFL. That's not that's a big-time program. I'm going to commit. And he goes off on his mission, and then the staff settled at USC, and then they called his dad and said, hey, now that the staff's in place, we're watching film, we want him. We want him. We know he's committed to Boise State, but 18 months from now when he's done with his mission – he can go wherever he wants. He's a free agent. We want him, and we'll have a scholarship for him at USC. And so his dad said, well, I'll talk to him this week when I talk to him. And and Kate said, no, I committed to Brian Harson. I'm like, I'm going to Boise State. I don't need to go to USC. Um, I'm committed to who I'm committed to. And people say, well, why did he transfer to BYU? Because Brian took the Auburn job. So the staff that recruited him at Boise State left him. And then he felt like, well, now the guys that I was committed to, now I can go where I want to go. And BYU had seen him play. And said, "Oh yeah, we we'll definitely take you down here." So there's a lot of years left because remember, both Cade and Jacob are freshmen. So a lot of years for this all to play out before it's all said and done. We'll see both of them on the field, and I'm confident that 
either one of those guys could be the guy here. They're both very skilled, both highly recruited, highly successful. Um, and so it's to me, it's which of those two guys is going to learn the game better? Which of those two guys is going to be a better decision maker? Because both of them have the skill to, to play the game. And the guy over the next couple of years that can prove that they're, they make better decisions and they get the ball up on time to the right spots, the right people, like Steve Young, that's the guy that's going to be the long-term guy here. Right now, they're a little, they're feeling like Jacob's in that second spot, but that doesn't mean that over the next two years that Cade can't can't work his way into that. And man, if if you if you don't have a couple of guys that can compete, you're in trouble in college football now. The way you guys get hurt, so you got you got to have both of those guys. I, I give I give Jacob and Cade both a seven in their ability to play right now. Blaine, great having you on behind the mic here today. We'll have Blaine on later. He's got. A boatload of stories that he can tell, and I can't wait to hear a lot of his stories, not only about his playing days, but his broadcasting days, and all the people he's come in contact with. So we'll have him on again. Blaine, thanks. Great to be with you. Hey, one more quick story before we end the show today. It comes from Kate Finnegan. I asked him what it was like playing against BYU's defense last year when he was the scout team quarterback, just a year after playing against them when he was on Boise State squad. I was mostly talking to the defensive guys, especially running the scout team. It was like, oh yeah, you know, yeah, I remember when you lit me up, Peyton, you know, like, oh, that was, yeah, it was a great hit, Max, you know, like, good stuff, guys, like, yeah, you hit hard, man, that hurt, you know, so it was just back and forth like that, but, um, I mean, it was cool catching up with the guys, they were, I mean, everybody on the team, they're good dudes, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm loving it here, and, and I, it was just, it was just a fun, interesting as well, uh, situation to just come in and be like, yeah, I remember playing you last year. Yeah, y'all were pretty good, all right? (laughs) Good stuff, you know? You handed it to me a little bit. (laughs) Thanks again to Greg Rebell and Blaine Fowler for joining me here on Behind the Mic. Make sure you rate and review Behind the Mic on your favorite podcast platform or listen to it on the BYU Radio app. I'm Cleon Wall. We'll talk to you again next week. Behind the Mic is a BYU Radio production.